Um, I've asked Andrew to come up. Um, I've got a question for you this morning, Andrew. So I'll, I'll give you this. The question is this. Are you good at following instructions? Good question. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I answer that question, I'm just so glad we're in such an informal church where if something goes wrong, somebody will put it right and not be embarrassed. Because I was in a church in London years ago. And we had a, a big service where the Cubs and Scouts and Brownies and Guides came, and the, the, the Cubs had a band, and they had offered to play one of the songs. And so it was agreed beforehand which song it would be. And when they came, they didn't know the song that we meant. And they'd found another song with the same title. So we ended up singing the wrong words to the wrong song. And they didn't fit, and it was absolutely disastrous. But nobody liked to admit that anything had gone wrong. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, instructions. I I once went to um, a talk by the author Joyce Huggett. Some of you may have read some of her books. And she got us to do this exercise where she said, I want you to all imagine that you're Mary... And imagine that you gave birth to the baby Jesus. And, you know, the shepherds came and the wise men came and you followed him all through his life. And he went to the cross. And, you know, afterwards we had to split up into little groups and share what our experience was. Well, I had spent the first, well, most of the time thinking, I can't do this. You know, I'm, not, you know, I'm a man. I, how can I imagine I'm Mary? And I, I was just so irritated and annoyed that I'd been asked to do something I couldn't do. And then right at the end, I thought, oh, I could imagine I'm Joseph. And then she said, right, split up into small groups. And all these women were in the... I was in a group. I think there were only women in my group. Beverly was one of them. And they all had such a positive feedback. And then they asked me about what I'd experienced, and I hadn't got anything to say. And it was highly embarrassing. But I do have a good imagination, Um, And I quite often wonder what it was like to be in Jesus' time. I mean, can you imagine being one of the thousands of people that gathered on the hillside Mm. to hear Jesus speak? And then I wondered, you know, what was it like for the disciples that first Easter time? And so as I say, I have got a good imagination. So I looked up their phone numbers. I found Peter was ex-directory. And Judas's number seemed to have been discontinued. <laughs> but I found Thaddeus's number, and I, I called him. And I said, you know, c- could you tell me what it was like? And amazingly, he'd kept a diary. And he shared with me what his diary was. And so I've now shared that. And Liz is going to send that diary out to you next weekend so that we can all see what it was like for the disciples over that, Easter week, that first Easter weekend. So... Um, we can find out that actually Easter isn't really about hot cross buns and Easter eggs. It was about confusion and fear and uncertainty and grief. Jesus really did die that Christmas, that that, that Christmas, that, that, that Good Friday. And unless we understand that he died, we can't really appreciate what happened on Easter Sunday. So look out for the Easter Diary emails next weekend. Thank you. Good, we're going to read together from our Bibles. As with Danny last week in school, 
You know, you ever do something where you think, I feel really old. Danny does age me really well. Um, I was in school and um, we were talking about traditions of Easter from around the world. And, uh, and we talked about in this country, some, we used to paint eggs. Remember that? And Danny's looking at me going, what, we, we had something before chocolate eggs? I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, how old am I? <laughs> Who remembers painting eggs? We used to paint them and roll them down the hill. Do you remember rolling them down the hill? Do you know why you rolled them down the hill? Because I had no idea why we were rolling these things down the hill. And I thought, is it something to do with the stone rolling away or or whatever? But I discovered the reason why you rolled it down the hill is you rolled it down the hill till it split. And when it split open, you would dye your egg. You would put your egg in and put some dye in. And when it split open, the inside would reveal the color that you dyed the egg in. No idea. And all the kids are looking at us going... We'd rather have chocolate eggs, thank you very much. But uh, if you remember painted hard-boiled eggs, then you're as old as me, which is as old as hell. Uh, We're going to read from Luke chapter 19. Um, And funny enough, this is Jesus entering Jerusalem. Uh, So we're in the Palm Sunday thing. I will start at verse 1. No, we won't. <laughs> Sorry. We're going to start at verse 28. It says this. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus through the cloaks on the colt and put put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the ground, on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So, Father, I pray that you speak to us this morning. Stir our hearts. May we get caught up in the excitement of that crowd that first Easter. But, Father, may we have wisdom that we know that it's not the crowd's response that is needed. For I ask this in your name. Amen. Jesus sends... Two of the boys to go and get a donkey. I love it. You know what I mean? And my, my, where I was brought up in Scotland, that's called theft. Okay? If you get sent by someone to go and collect something that isn't yours. Uh, but thankfully, there was a phrase that Jesus said, if someone asks you why you're in town, let's say the Lord needs it. It's the only time it's ever mentioned that Jesus uses transport. 
And he used it for a purpose because here he was uh, fulfilling, uh, fulfilling prophecy of what, what was to come. From Zechariah uh, 9, verse 9, let's see if I've got that one. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. And could you imagine seeing that, hearing that? All your life you've been waiting for the Messiah to turn. All your life you know that one day he will come into Jerusalem. And here on this day, as the crowds start, start singing and start chanting, you think, is this the day? You know there was three crowds that day? I always thought there was just one crowd. There's three crowds. There is the crowd, the large crowd of disciples that are with Jesus. It's mentioned in, 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 in Luke 6. It says, a large crowd of disciples were there in great number. People from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. It's a massive crowd with Jesus of disciples as they are going down into Jerusalem. You've got the crowd from, from Jerusalem. Jer- Jerusalem had been on edge. They'd been waiting for Jesus to come. So you've got that crowd then going up to meet Jesus. And then there was this third crowd. And this third crowd was a dangerous crowd. Because it was a crowd that came from when Jesus had rose Lazarus from the dead. And that crowd came speaking of what they saw. And suddenly the whole city is stirred up. What is going to happen? And as they came down, they, 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 they start to, to, to cheer and to, and to say phrases. And they had... I don't know about you, but it's, it's just something special when a crowd gathers, isn't there? Have you been part of a large crowd? I've been caught up in a few over the years. Uh, I was at a Preston Guild. You ever heard of that? If you're not from up north, you probably haven't. But a Preston Guild happens every 20 years. And when the people of Preston would parade through the city, there would be 60,000, 70,000 people parading through the city, shouting, cheering, Things the church will be part of that that celebration. Has anyone ever been to Spring Harvest? Isn't that great when you're in that big top singing and praising together? How exciting that is! I've had the joy of being soul survivor. Ten thousand young people crammed in a tent praising God, and you're thinking this is just fantastic. Um, what's the other one? New wine. Anyone done new wine? In that big venue out in the middle of some field somewhere, and we're all there in the rain praising God, thank, thanking God that we're inside for a short while, hoping our tents not pray. But you're being caught up in the excitement of the crowd. Imagine what heaven's going to be like. Millions and millions, billions of people gather to praise God, where the ground itself will shake. It was a great crowd who came out to meet, to meet Jesus. I have a friend who, who lives and works in London. She has a, a, one of the best jobs in the world. She, her job, her company is called, uh, it's called Club Mob. Okay, and what she does is she is one of these people who, um, who have this flash mob who come out singing and dancing. 
And, uh, and often, like for, um, and I saw it on the TV only last week, she was on there with her, her, her company, and they, they were doing it, a man was asking his wife t- to, to marry him, and out came from the crowd, uh, her, her people who came out, and it just looked like they were ordinary people, and suddenly they're dancing, they're singing, and, the, and it gets bigger and bigger as more of the company join in, and eventually the man himself the, who was going to propose, he joins in, does this dance, and then gets on his knees and proposes, and the whole crowd, and by this stage a massive crowd watches as he has, as he goes to ask her to marry him, you're thinking, please say yes, please say yes, please say yes. You're absolutely reckless if you say no. Or, uh, so. But what a wonderful experience. But it, w- w- what, what that company does is something quite false. You know what I mean? As far as, I mean, if you're American and you've turned up today, this country is not like Mary Poppins land, okay? We don't go around singing and dancing just in the streets, okay, uh, it, it doesn't happen, and it's the same when that, that mob comes together and start ding, singing and dancing, it's false, it's not really happening, it's not people randomly coming out into the street to do this, they have been training, training and training, they do singing practice every day, they know their parts, when, when it comes to this crowd going into, into Jerusalem, it's not natural. You know what I mean? It's, it's a crowd who, who, who are going, who, who, who are partly being caught up in what's going on. And we can see this because this, this crowd that come out to praise him, five days later will be the same crowd who are going to be shouting, crucify him. How fickle that crowd is. I love how they gave Jesus a proper royal experience. You know what I mean? They throw down their coats before him. Uh, they grab branches off the trees. I love it, Scott. You know what I mean? In this country, we're lucky we don't have snow, never mind palm trees in this time of the year. Um, but I love the fact that they come out. I love that the fact that they, 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 they've, they, they've got their, their chants. I'm glad it's not English because our chants are pretty rubbish, aren't they? What do you want? Jesus, when we want him? No, that's what we would be doing. But they come up with some better ones. You know what I mean? Uh, Praise God. God bless him who comes in the name of the Lord. God bless the coming kingdom of King David, our father. Praise God. And they go all the way. They go all the way into the city. The whole city is stirred up. Everyone has got an interest. Every, you know what I mean? There's not someone going, oh, well, Jesus came in. I missed that. Everybody in the city knew because this massive crowd rolls into the city. The whole city is in uproar. It's the middle of a festival. So the city's packed to the rafters. And as he comes in, he makes his way down through the city. And he goes into the temple. Now, the temple has been changed. Okay, the temple should be a place where people go to worship God. But, but the high priests have discovered this is a good place to make, a, to make some money. I actually did a, a paper when I was at Bible College to figure out what, that, the, what the equivalence of that money was. And we're talking hundreds of millions of pounds in equivalent to today's money. They were making a fortune. You'd go in with your sacrifice, maybe a lamb or a, or a dove, and, and you'd be greeted immediately going, you can't bring that in here. Because we can't tell if that's perfect or not. 
So if you want a lamb or a dove, you can buy it, but you'll have to buy it from our stores. And so people who'd come to sacrifice to God were being turned away with what they had. They had to buy from the temple. If you came with your money to offer your money, you were again, you were being told you, you can't use your money. You can't even use your money to buy the lamb or the dove. You've got to change your money into temple money. And for every coin you gave, every two coins you gave, you would get one back. It was a real rip-off place. And so when Jesus comes into the temple, as he comes down the hill and wanders into the temple, it says he, he goes into the temple and he, he turns over the tables of the money changers. And he says he makes a, makes a, a whip from, from three cords and he drives out the animals that are in there. And then a, in a large voice, he stands up and he says this. He says, it is written. He says to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. You could imagine the high priest, couldn't you? And the priests in the temple going, who does he think he is? Coming in here, destroying our business. The crowds cheer, the pride priests fume, but cannot do anything about it. Why? Because the crowds are on Jesus' side. If they try to harm, say, do anything together, they're, they're aware that the whole crowd might turn into a, uh, a riot. But within, as you say, within five days, that crowd will be screaming, new chance. Give us Barabbas. Put away this Jesus. Crucify him. It says uh, when Jesus is brought before Pilate, when the crowds are there, when the crowds turn on him, that Pilate is so scared of that crowd that he has to hand Jesus over. He's so fearful of a riot in his city that he is prepared to give Jesus over. The crowd can be quite powerful. It can be quite positive or it can be quite negative. We see that all the way through, through the history, don't we? Uh, Moses, remember Moses? Goes up into the mountain to meet God. God gives him the Ten Commandments. And as he's up there, God goes, oh, by the way, the people down down at the foot of the mountain, they're not behaving themselves. They're kicking off. You need to go down. And down at the foot of the mountain, uh, the, the, the people have been waiting and waiting and waiting. Moses has been up there forever. He's been up about 40 days. Like, oh, is he ever coming back down? Maybe he's died up there. What's, what's going on? And so they go to Aaron and say, Aaron, could you, could, let's, let's worship something. Can we do something? So Aaron says, all right, give me, give me your earrings from, from you and from your children. All the gold, and he takes this gold and he makes it into this golden calf, and he sets up an altar, and they start to worship God, and they bring sacrifices, and it's all mixed up. It's all a bit of Egypt, a bit of of what they should be doing. But this crowd, it says, gets wilder and wilder until the it just gets really, really inappropriate. I'll let you read it in the Bible rather than giving you pictures in your head, but it. 
it really just goes out of hand. And God sends Moses down. Moses comes down and he's furious. And he takes the things that God had made for him and he throws it down. Oh, and he's angry. He's angry at Aaron. He's angry at the people. You see, he takes that golden, golden calf and he, he, he gets it ground down and he puts it in the drinking water of the people. The crowd started well. Started with a good purpose. We want to worship God. And it just got way out of hand. Joshua, similar, but the opposite. Joshua, when he was an old man, when, when he was a young man, uh, Moses had prophesied to say, you know, one day you're going to be in the promised land. And you're going to be living in houses that you did not make. You know what I mean? Drinking from wells that you did not drink, uh, did not uh, uh, dig. You'll be eating from food in cupboards that you didn't gather or store. And he says, in those days, when life is good, don't forget God. Well, you go, go ahead. You know I mean, 40, 40 odd years and Joshua now is an old man. He's led the people into, into the promised land. And the people have forgotten about God. And it says in his last speech to get Joshua, this old guy out, and he comes out and he leans on his, on his, on his staff. And they say, tell us from your wisdom what, what we should do. He says, I don't know about you. But we were warned of this long ago. He says, you can worship what you want. But as for me and my family, we choose to worship God. And the whole crowd gets stirred up. And it's almost like a revival happens. And they all go, yeah, we choose that too. So the crowd can be positive as well as negative. Elijah. Oh, I had a picture of Joshua. That was that one. Elijah on Mount Carmel. Elijah, remember, is at the point where he thinks everyone has deserted God. He's the only one left. That's what he feels like. And he's, he's, he's called. Ahab has, has said, look, we've got to find this guy. The, the land has been in drought for three years. And eventually, Ahab goes and, goes and, sorry, Elijah goes and gives a message to Ahab. Meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring the prophets of Baal. So there's 400 prophets of Baal. There's 450 prophets who belong to Queen Jezebel. That's 850 against one. I like the odds. And he's up there. And he says to them, Okay, prophets of Baal, let's see who's, who's God's real. Why don't you go first? He says, what we're going to do is build an altar. We're going to put a cow on it. And then we're going to pray for God to send the fire. And they said, fair enough. They, they do it. They build their altar. They put their cow in it. And then they start to, 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 to say, come on in Baal, light the fire. Light the fire. Come on, Baal, light the fire. And Elijah's having some fun. And he goes, uh, you might have to speak up, guys. Uh, maybe, maybe Baal's asleep. And so the, crowd, so the, the, the prophets start to st- scream and shout, but, but nothing comes. He goes, I know, I know. He goes, maybe, maybe he's gone on holiday. And so now they're starting to cut themselves and getting frantic about it. Still nothing happens. And he goes, oh, maybe he's on the loo. It goes on and on, but nothing happens. Then Elijah says, well, it's my turn. He comes and he builds the old altar in the old way, 12 stones. Each stone represents a tribe. Takes some wood and puts it on top, takes the cow, puts it on top of that. He then goes and starts to dig a ditch. And they're all going, what's he doing? He's digging a ditch. Why is he digging a ditch? And in a place of drought, he takes all the water that he can find and he starts to pour it over over the sacrifice, over the wood. 
and it says he fills up so much it fills up that that um, ditch and then he prays a very simple prayer God reveal yourself to the people then he stands up and he says this How long have you wavered between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Better bows, God, follow him. And he prays for fire to come, and fire comes and hits that altar and burns up not only the, the, the sacrifice, but the wood, the stones, the water, everything. And the people all cheer, God is real. And they do away with the prophets of Elijah. And we all know what happens after that. He runs for his life. Jezebel's not amused that 450 of our prophets have disappeared. But the crowd, make up your mind. Who are you going to follow? The crowd could go one way or the other. And this crowd on, on that Palm Sunday was a bit fickle. It could go one way or another. says the religious leaders come to him and they say by whose authority are you doing these things and Jesus says oh, okay I'll answer your question if you can answer my question and they say go on and he says by whose authority did John use when he was here and whose authority was he baptizing people was it was it of God or was it of man? And of course they can't answer because if they say it is of, of, of uh, man that John the Baptist wasn't really a prophet, then the crowd would rise up and again stone them. So they couldn't say that. They couldn't say it was of God because they said it was of God. Then he said, well, why weren't you baptized? So they couldn't answer. The crowd had this power this way. This is what the crowd said about Jesus. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They knew who he was. The chief priests and teachers of the law heard he began looking away to kill him. But they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Every day he was teaching at the temple. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the leaders among the people were trying to kill him, yet they could not find a way to do it because all the people hung on, the wor- on his words. He was captivating. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. They got up. They went there because why he had words, he spoke in ways that no one else did. The crowd was on his side. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew that they were talking about him. They looked for ways to arrest him, but they were afraid that the crowd, because the people held that he was a prophet. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. The large crowd listened to him with delight. Jesus had the crowd on his side. That crowd thought he was from God. They knew his opinions. And so that crowd protected him. But he was only popular for a while. What would cause someone so popular, so protected by the crowd, to lose it on that Friday? And Jesus nailed it when he went into the city. When he looked, he says, 
He looked across and he, he said this. I think I might have it. No, I haven't got it. He says, um, the, the, the people are like, a, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They, they, they just sway. They follow the, the, the crowd. They, they do what sheep do. You know what sheep do? They just follow one another. No shepherd to guide them. They just wandered going from one viewpoint to another. But Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. No shepherd to look after them. The religious leaders were interested in their own needs, not the needs of the crowd. Jesus says this, a thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and life in its fullness. No shepherd to protect them. But Jesus says, I lay my life down for my sheep. That same crowd would turn on that Good Friday. Why? Because a crowd does what a crowd does. Anyone into football? I know Ian is. So, I, 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 I love football. I hate the crowd. Meet me. Is Luke in? Or has he disappeared? I'm looking for the boy. Oh, he's at the back. Me, Luke, and uh, his brother went off to see Wolves. Big Wolves fans, aren't we? And uh, we, we, we were there. We were play, watching Wolves play Leeds. We're in the stadium. Okay, it's a brilliant game. The atmosphere is electric. Wolves go 2-0 up. And it's just fantastic. But in front of us... There was about five or six. Egypts would be the only word. They're, they're, they're not interested in the game. They're interest, interested in the Leeds fans, which were just over the wall from us. And, and the whole game, they're, they're just taunting the Leeds fans. I'm thinking, this, is, this isn't what I want. And the language and the, the vowel stuff it comes from, I'm thinking, this isn't what it is. But then it doesn't take long for the whole crowd to start taunting the Leeds fans. And the whole crowd start to sing, what is it? Um, oh, I can't remember the song. Um, the leads are going to blow it again type song. And they sing it and sing it and sing it. And then all the, the Leeds fans, you can see 2-0 down. It's a disaster. And then it happens. A Wolves player gets sent off unfairly, I'll have you know. Unfairly sent off. No way should that have been a sending off. But he got sent off. And the game turns. The next thing it's, it's 2-1 to Wolves. Can they hold on? Then it becomes 2 all, and You mean the crowd goes quiet. It's like, oh, well, except for the Leeds fans. They're going nuts. You know what I mean? They're, they're loving it. And then it goes 3-2 to Leeds. The Leeds fans are on their feet, and they're singing, Leeds, we're going to blow it again, almost as a mock back to the Wolves fans. And then the final whistle goes... I enjoyed the game. I just didn't like the crowd. The crowd swayed by what is happening in the minute. That crowd on Friday swayed by violence that was stirred up by the religious leaders. We will get get rid of him. They planned it. They put people in the crowd. And when the questions were asked, they whipped that crowd out. And they followed Julie and had Jesus crucified. 
It's like being at school. Remember being at school and there's a fight? After school. And how many of us would start to join that crowd shouting, fight, fight, fight. And there's a massive crowd, fight, fight, fight. And there'd be two boys in there pushing each other. Never needs to go any further than in my school. Like, push, just push, push. <laughs> but whipped up by the crowd. That same crowd. A few weeks later. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, that crowd changes. Because Peter stands up and says, you, you guys, you crucified the Messiah. You blew it in some ways. But yet the God had a plan. That this, this Jesus was sent from God. He came, who died in our place. And it says the people were cut to the heart. And this is the secret to the whole crowd thing. The crowd goes with what goes. And it says then from the crowd, someone shouted out, what have we got to do about this? And this is where it's at. It's not about crowds. It's about individuals. God's a personal God. God's a personal God. He, he loves you. He's passionate about you. You are his people. Not just as a crowd, but as an individual. And he says, as, as Peter says, there's, there's a few things you've got to do. One is you've got to repent. I always used to teach that word in Sunday school. What does repent mean? I used to say it's simple. Repent is this. Like what? I says, you've got to change direction. If, you, if you're going one way, you've got to go the other way because you're going the wrong way. And it says people have a tendency to go the wrong way from God. You've got to turn around. It's not just that, it's in a words. You've got, to, you've got to say to God, I'm sorry. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to put you in my life. Put you first. The next thing is, Peter says, you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. You've got to be baptized for the things that, that you did wrong. God came as a sacrifice. That he who had no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. We've got to... Repent, we've got to put God first. And on that day, 3,000 people were baptized. Next week, we're baptizing two people here. Easter Sunday, we're opening the pool and we've got two people. We've got Rafael, he's going to be baptized here. Rafael, we keep you down until the bubbles stop. And that's not true. <laughs> we put you down and it's like you're dying to yourself, but you're living to God. And the third thing that he says is this. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God is personal God. It's not just about going with the crowd, but it's knowing God personally. That crowd, Good Friday, that crowd who was there on, on, on Palm Sunday was also there on Pentecost. It's not about the crowd, it's about the individuals. It's about you here right now. It's about you responding to God, not as a group, but as an individual. God is there saying, I love you. I want to be part of your life. I want to turn you upside down. But you've got to respond to me. So we're going to pray. We're going to invite the kids to come back. We're going to sing. But before we do that, I just want to pray. But you can make this prayer your prayer. If you've never responded to God, if you've never said to God, I want to be yours. I want to follow you with all I am. And say this prayer in your heart. And that's the first step of you finding and following him. So let's pray together.
So Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the things that I've done to upset you, the way I have lived my life, not following you, but following my own ways. And I turn around, I, I repent, I want to follow you and give my life to you. I'm sorry for the things that I've done in my life that haven't been pleasing to you or to others. And I turn from them too. I take up this offer of you dying for me. And I want to live for you. So fill me with your Holy Spirit so I may follow you all the days of my life. For I ask this in your name. Amen. Let's uh, worship together. Do we get lively now, Scott? Okay, I'll try. Yes. Can I invite you to stand? <laughs>